Ciampanelli. I'm Kirk Pinchon. Oh, Kirk, do you know what this show is? Wonderful. This is the true story <laughs> of, two stra- of two of, strangers. Of two former co-workers. <laughs> who, co-workers! Who picked themselves to talk about music <laughs> and record their own conversations to find out what happening, happens when they stop being polite and start being podcasters. <laughs> Listen, we've it's always music been, ray gun. We've always been not polite. That's our thing. <laughs> and if anyone listening doesn't know what I was referencing just now, strap in because this is the first episode of a planned three-part series. Yes, well played. I'm excited <laughs> about what TV show, Kirk? The real world. The real world icon of the '90s. A major part of my youth. And my uh, a young adult, young I guess adulthood. my early adults. Yeah. Yes. And still going today. Kind of. Uh, there, there is on Paramount TV, there's like a new series or something. Yeah, kind of. We can get into that. The reason we're doing this is because a new streaming service launched recently. Not to promote them. Uh, Kirk just said the name of it. We don't really need to repeat it. But... They have an original show on there, which is called The Real World Homecoming. And what it is, is they've gotten the cast of the first season of The Real World back together for a reunion series. Yes. And this is very exciting for people your age and people my age. Oh, oh. Gen Xers and Xennials, I think, are are very excited about this. Uh. For those who don't know, describe what the real world was. Oh, I mean, first of all, if you don't know what the real world is, why are you listening to this pop culture podcast? <laughs> Go fuck yourself for not knowing what the real world is. Shame yeah. on you. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to speak on part of the first real world because mm-hmm. obviously there's been so many years of it. Yeah. But the real world, the original version was uh, no, a no-budget – almost legit documentary where they're like let's get seven young people ages 19 at the time i think 19 to like mm-hmm. maybe 25 26 kevin was 26, 26. Yeah. kevin was 26 let's let's get seven of them mm-hmm. and throw them in a really cool new york loft for mm-hmm. like six or eight weeks it was three and months was it that long 13 wow, weeks. that was way longer 13 season weeks. two was six months <laughs> That's right. Ooh. Yeah, but season one was three months. Three months, and just, just, and just film what they do. Yeah, and that was it. And at the time, that was it. Like now, it's like, hey, let's get famous and let's basically drink and fucking have fights on TV. But, right. but back then, it was just like, ah, uh, they're just gonna see what happens. And I think they had no idea what was gonna happen. Yeah. And it became this whole thing. Even season two was already different because. When the roommates in season two started, they already had something to base their expectations on. There was exactly. a model for them to follow in season one, and it evolved over time. But um, what you, I don't think you mentioned and what people might not know if they're not familiar with the show is season one uh, happened in 1992. Yeah, so it, it was a very yeah. early example of reality TV. It was before the whole reality TV boom. And there was no model for this kind of show. And you can really see it in the way the roommates responded to the experience while it was being made. And even while production was trying to figure out yeah. how to how to make the show. 
Like there were yes. so many things that they started doing in season two that they didn't know yet in season one. That is real rough around the edges. And like you said, super low budget. Super low budget. Yeah. Super like it looks like a documentary mm-hmm. now. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, the real world today that if you catch them, they're all very slick and have tons of money behind. Right. And uh, I distinctly remember I watched a lot of real world. Obviously, mm-hmm. the New York one, the best one. Let's just come on. Um, Probably. We could. That's an argument for another show. That's for another show. I made it all the way till probably Vegas, maybe a little after Vegas. But I distinctly remember Vegas, where I was like, "Holy shit!" Number one, everyone there is fucking gorgeous and ripped and shredded, and everyone wants to fuck. Yeah, that's that's acknowledged as the season where the show took a major turn and where production figured out it's like oh if we just like feed them booze yep then they'll argue and have sex with each other way more and that's what we yes want. and the, the the early seasons weren't like that the early seasons were about 20 somethings having conversations about their lives and politics yeah. and and things like that and in in a shallow MTV sort of way, but still, it was a little more conscious. Yes, absolutely. It was more like, and it, you know, uh, it was also more like, hey, let's just we're just trying to fucking figure out, you know, be, what's it like to be like twenty in your nineties and right. the tw- twenty in the nineties and nineties, figuring out your life and what you're going to do as an adult, as opposed right. to like, I'm going to get on this show and get fucking famous. Right. No one thought they were going to get famous from the first real world. Right. And the, no. the other thing I don't think we mentioned that is important is that it was on MTV. And that's why it yes. relates to our show is because it was full of uh, period-specific music. Yes. And when you watch it now, you're like, ah, oh, it just washes over you. Yeah, it does. Uh, disappointingly, the first season, I rewatched the whole first season recently mm-hmm. uh, to gear up for the, the reunion series. And all of the music has been replaced by, like, replacement music because of rights issues. Oh, that's disappointing. Here's the thing, though. They did that a few years ago when the first season was on Hulu. Mm -hmm. And at the time, it was the only season that was available on Hulu. And it had that replacement music on it. I started watching season two on this new streaming service that it's on because they have all the seasons now. Mm -hmm. And it had the music in it. So I don't know if if the owners of um, the streaming service just don't like they just got the the season that was on Hulu and slapped it on and didn't realize that they have I don't know they have the rights to music in the other seasons why wouldn't they put it on season one Hopefully someone will notice and give yeah. us the right episodes because here's the thing the music is crucial yes. to the real world experience It's so watchable. Important. But it felt very alien. It loses so much of its charm and its heart when it doesn't have the pop songs in it. Yes. And it's just like, you know, sound-alikes that they invented for it. It's not the same. Yeah. I mean, you need you need Black Box and C.C. <laughs> yeah. Peniston. You need Jesus Jones. And you oh. need... And you need Arrested Development, and you need um, yeah. Uh, what was that group that did a Why Waste Your Time? You know you that's uh, that's Mantronics. No, it's something Inc. Oh, Bizarre Inc. Bizarre Inc. Bizarre, Bizarre Inc. Inc. Yeah, you Bizarre need Bizarre Inc. Inc. in there. You need yeah. Robin S. Uh, 
Yeah. Yeah. You, you need salt that. and pepper doing let's talk about sex sure. when they're talking about sex. Absolutely you do. It's great. Yeah. It's, they, the music really does make it. Right. Um, so that's why for our, this three-part series we're doing uh, with this podcast is we're going to talk about the first season of The Real World on this episode. And then we're going to do our top five songs from 1990. And then next episode, we're going to talk about the first half of the reunion series and do our top five songs from 91. And then the third part, we're going to talk about the end of the reunion series and our favorite songs from 92. Because they made this in early 1992. So most of the music on it is like 90-91 stuff. Yeah, it really is. It really is. It, when I watched it, first of all, get ready to go on a journey. Because yeah. this is going to be great. Uh, I When I watched it, I was – I just graduated college. Yeah. It was 22. It kind of came out in the summer of – Yeah, they filmed it from February to May of 92. Yeah, and then it came out maybe August. No, it came – they aired the first episode the week after they left the loft. It started in May the week after they finished wrapping – after they wrapped it. That makes sense and because it, yeah. I was still in college and didn't see it then. Yeah, and it and aired over I, the summer. So with that, well, I caught it in reruns over the summer when I was living in Atlanta. Oh, yeah. We all watched reruns. We watched the many marathons MTV always ran yeah. over the years. Yeah. Because there wasn't any fanfare for it. There wasn't any, like, we've got this new show called The Real World. They just threw it up. Yeah. Really. They, they didn't think it was going to do anything. The roommates didn't think. It. The only one of the roommates who thought it would be something was Eric. Yeah. Who we'll talk about. Yes. But I want to yes. know first, like, you are exactly their age, right? Mm -hmm. They were born uh, from, uh, Kevin was born in 1966, and yeah. Julie, the youngest, was born in 71 or 72. Yeah, that's about so, right. And, I, and, and I'm 70. Yeah, you're right in the middle with them. I'm right in the middle. Yeah. Uh, so these were your peers, Yes. So what did it mean? Like, what was it? What, what did it mean to you watching the show? It was. It, we'll talk about it in the next episodes, too. It's more interesting now because yeah. of who they are now. But back then, they you, and it was also like we said, they, there wasn't so much casting of like beautiful people. Mm -hmm. So they're just with the exception of Eric, who is an outlier of being just this gorgeous dude. Mm -hmm. Everyone was just kind of like, oh, I recognize these people. I know these people in my life. I know the artists. I know the slacker dude. Well, I know all, you know, here's the, the way they, go ahead. I was going to say, the interesting thing I never really realized, but Heather said something in the first episode of the reunion series where she said, we thought it was a documentary about young artists. And I was uh, like, yeah. I was like, oh yeah, in season one, it's two musicians, a yep. rapper, a poet, a dancer, uh, a, a visual artist. Norman was a yeah. painter. And yeah. Eric's a model, which is it, whether or not that's an artist, you can argue. But that was the intention is that they're all different kinds of artists. And they threw that yes. away in season two. And they didn't even make it an explicit part of season one because I think that was maybe their original intention. But then it didn't really turn out to be about their art. So they didn't. That's what's really interesting. They didn't package is, it that way. But yeah, that's, they, they were cast for that. Yeah. There was... Not a lot of – I mean they touched on it like, oh, we're going to go hear uh, – we're going to go hear Becky sing, do some folk music and right. we're going to see Andre's video. By the way, let me tell you something right now. Mm -hmm. You know I don't care for grunge, but I'm here for Monkey Bone. Lazy Bones. Lazy Bones. By Rain Dance. 
Rain Dance. Yes, yeah. That's a good fucking song, man. Rain Dance was no worse than any of the like B-list grunge bands who made it big on radio yes. in the in the nineties. They're no worse than Silver Chair. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. They never but, quite made it, but they weren't terrible. No, not at all. Yeah. Like when you hear that song, you're like, oh, that sounds like a grunge song you would hear on the radio at any time. Yeah. So it was very interesting. But it is a really interesting point is they touch on it a little bit about mm-hmm. their their art, but yeah. that's really not what it became about. It just became about them talking and living together and dealing with it. Yeah. Um. So that was really interesting. And then it was also the idea of, because when I saw it, I was in Atlanta, but I was already planning on moving to Chicago. Mm-hmm. So it was that like, oh, this is what it's like. This is what living in a big city, trying to figure out what you're going to do living in the city mm-hmm. is going to be like. And that really, that of all things really hit home to me. Yeah. As I was like getting ready to go to Chicago and been like, oh yeah, life in the big city of trying to, you know, trying to be an actor and trying to be an artist. Yeah. Cause is... you were totally, your aspirations were their aspirations. You were a dancer yes. and you were going to be an actor and you were, yeah. yeah. You could have been on no. that show. <laughs> you well, could have been on chance. that show. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was right around that time. I could have. Yeah. The, um, and yeah, and going to Chicago and, you know, going to the big city and just like, you know, so it was really, one of those, it's it was made for our time, yeah, and that's why I think you because it was so new and because it was so of its time. That's why you get jagoffs like me in my age. You're like, mm, that's where the first one's the best. That's the most most important. <laughs> I mean, for me, three impact. The third one impacted mm-hmm. me more. The San Francisco season. That was a great one. I didn't watch the first season when it originally aired. I didn't. Uh, I wasn't. I was not allowed to watch MTV, as I've talked about before. <laughs> yes, you're allowed to watch VH1, though. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> but the real world is the thing that made me break the seal on that. Very specifically, I remember my brother and oh. I were staying the weekend with our grandmother, where the rules were a little looser. Like she yeah. didn't know we weren't allowed to watch MTV, and they were running a marathon of season two, the Los Angeles season. Uh, and my brother and I watched that and we had to go home at the end of the weekend before the marathon was over. And so my brother was like, let's just finish watching it. Like, we'll just turn on the TV. (laughs) Mom and dad won't see that it's videos. They won't know that it's MTV. Let's just like sneak and we'll watch it. So we finished watching it. And then after that, it was like, well, we're just going to watch MTV at home now. (laughs) Yeah. We'll just change the channel if mom and dad come downstairs. Yeah. You figured out a, a loophole. Yeah, which was just ignore the rule. That was the yeah. loophole. Like, just do it anyway. <laughs> just yeah. just as, break the rule and that's it'll be fine. Yeah, as kids are, are known to do. Yeah, right. So that worked out well. Yeah. It was it – was, you know, and I still watch subsequent series mm-hmm. uh, for a while. But it was – I mean, it was fucking – especially that first series. It was addicting, man. You're like yeah. – even though nothing really happens – you were like, what's going to happen? Well, there was no reality TV on. It was it was a completely novel for the time format. Yeah. There was nothing else like that. Through the 90s. I mean, reality TV, in my recollection, Survivor is the one that blew up the format. And like after Survivor came out in 2000, that's when you got yeah. a, a never-ending stream of reality TV yeah. trying to copy the format. But in the 90s, the real world was reality TV. That was the only it format was. like that. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. The other thing that I remember most, and it's funny now seeing it as, as, as a grown up, when, um, when the, watching the, the first episode as a, the first series as a, as a 
22 year old, mm-hmm. I was like, God, that loft is fucking awesome. <laughs> and, and now as, you know, a grown ass man, you're like, nah, I don't really need to live in that loft. It's not that great. It's a cool loft, but they definitely over the seasons got way bigger and more elaborate yes. and more expensive. Like, yes, you know, they would rent an entire warehouse for them to live in in Seattle and just really tricked it out. And in season one, like, because in the beginning of the first episode, they all walk into that loft and they're like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. This is a palace. And it's like, yeah. it's a really cool loft, but there are going to be seven of you in there for three yes. months. Yes, it's it's a good sized, cool looking loft, and they made it all cool, look cool. Yeah. But then you go, I think there's just one bathroom. I think there were two. And I mean, even two for seven people but, is rough. But it's not, yeah, yeah. And here's the other thing: one phone. <laughs> I know that's the best. There one are, phone. Yeah, there's one phone, and that's a part of life that I've never experienced. I'm old enough to remember phones and no internet. Yeah. But I was nine when the first season of The Real World aired, right? And I didn't go to college until 2000, and the internet was already a thing. There were instant messages. Yeah. I never, as an adult, lived with roommates and had to count on roommates to give me my messages. Oh, that's so funny. So in college, yeah. you obviously, 2000, you had a cell phone. No. I, oh, you didn't? It's right on the cusp. I got my first okay. cell phone. When I was in college, most people my age had cell phones, but I didn't. Mm-hmm. So I had a landline in my dorm room okay. in my apartments. So I got my first cell phone when I got my first apartment after, right after college. Okay. But most people my age did have cell phones in, in college. Yeah. So it's right on the cusp there, right? Yeah. Um, But but yeah, they they have – like a lot of their fights in the first season are – you didn't give me my messages. Mm-hmm. Um, I was on the phone during having a job interview and you picked up and said something rude and it like yeah. ended the call. There's an episode where Norman gets very upset because he asked them to, to please tape Star Trek The Next Generation and they, <laughs> and they didn't tape it. Yeah. They didn't tape it. He came, he came home at 10 minutes to 9 o'clock or whatever and it was already almost over and they didn't tape it and... It's 1992, so if you want to watch a show and you yep. forget to tape it, you're never going to see it because yep. <laughs> you better hope there's a rerun and you catch it. Yep. You might get – fingers crossed you might get lucky. Yep. Same with the messages. If if uh, someone doesn't pick up that phone because yeah. they don't feel like answering the phone, well, you're not getting that call. That call has gone. Or they do answer it, but they don't write the message down. Yeah. They're just like, ah, someone called. I don't remember their name. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Someone I named, remember that. Was it Keith? I don't know anybody named Keith. Uh. <laughs> yeah, then, uh, then I don't know. I don't know. So said, I thought he said Keith. There's a lot of fun stuff like that when I rewatched it. I'm like, wow. Yeah, it, it's it's uh, a fascinating time capsule. Yeah. And it's weird, too, because it's like, oh, yeah, I lived through all that. Like, yeah. watching it and experiencing it because, you know, you were just a young kid mm-hmm. watching it where yeah. you're just like, what? So they must have seen like, wow, they're like grown-ups. They're grown-ups, 100%. My experience is, oh, this is what, you know, your 20s are like. This is what it's going to be like when I'm an adult, especially Kevin. Kevin at 26 in season one seemed impossibly old and mature. (laughs) Yes. You know. um, I think even in later seasons, the cutoff was 24. Yeah, because 26 
yeah. seems a little old these days now if you're going to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And there's there's an episode where Becky, who's tw- Becky is 24, Norman is 25, yeah. and Kevin is 26, and all the others are 19 through 21. Yeah. And there's a part where they're all sort of, they're arguing, or they're bickering a little bit, and Becky's like, oh, Julie, you know, you just don't understand because... You know, we're she's basically making the point is like we're so much more mature than you at our age, yes. and there's so much difference. And she's not entirely wrong. Like there's yeah. a, there is a difference between 19 and 26. Oh, 100. percent You're not is. experiencing life the same way. 100. percent There is. That's very different. Yeah, that's very very different. But for me, at like nine, ten, eleven, and twelve, I'm just like, okay, this is this is a model of what adulthood is these grown-ups are living their lives i'm like this i have looked i've got to learn things i have this to look forward to (laughs) that's so funny yeah for me it's like wow this is what we're living in Mm -hmm. these these are my peers how are they doing what i'm trying to do and how are they doing it right doing it wrong yeah it's so it's a different take it's fascinating and now i've just rewatched it at the age of 38 having not seen it since the 90s Mm mm-hmm and I was like, look at these dumb babies stumbling yeah. through their lives. <laughs> yeah. Which is what you should be doing in your 20s. Just oh, absolutely. Just being fucking dumb. Absolutely. And it's not like yeah. I have it together now, but... Yeah. But they all look so young and they're yeah. so arrogant in that, like, charming, like, oh, I've got the world, you yeah. know, by the balls. I'm just, I figured you know, it out. Yeah. I've got this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Me Which and my band are going to make it. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I know what I'm doing. I, yeah. My opinions are all correct. Right. Except, yeah, what hasn't changed at all is the politics and the things they talk about yeah. about the actual real world in a really eerie way. It's true like you should be wa- in theory we should be watching that first real world going wow things have changed i can't believe people used to think that way instead of going well it's the exact same thing the main takeaway is back then i saw kevin and i think most people saw kevin as this really disagreeable you know quote unquote angry black guy because mm-hmm. of the arguments he was getting into with the roommates where he's telling them about you know uh systemic racism yeah. and the black experience and they're all just like so many unaware white people like well i you know i have black friends so i can't be racist yeah and yeah, that's I'm, all there I'm is fine. and they yeah. just don't understand the points that he's making and now in the light of this being 2021 and uh, years of Black Lives Matter and because, basically because of cell phones, all the uh, incidents that have been captured on video over and over and over again and, and people understanding more and more. Now, the things that Kevin Powell was talking about 30 years ago, re-watching it, I'm like, Kevin is unbelievably patient with these people. Yeah. <laughs> he loses his cool a lot in these arguments, but... Uh, understandably so. Oh, yeah. He's, it could have been so much worse. Yeah, he's right about everything he says. Yeah, I mean, just spot on. Yeah, he's he was saying all those things then that we're understanding more now. I don't yeah. want to say, like, we get it. We've solved racism. No, obviously, obviously not. not. But, yeah, Kevin, I just remember thinking, like, wow, that guy is an asshole. And now rewatching it, I'm like, Wow, is he reasonable? 
Yeah. And yeah. wow, are these people just not hearing him? Yeah. And wow, it's still going on. And it should be more like, wow, look how it was in 92 and things were, were worse. Yeah. The, the Rodney King verdict and then the L.A. riots happened while they were in the loft. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, um, and, you know, he had arguments with. Becky and Julie famously and he even had yep. a conversation with Eric where Eric's point was I have millions of black friends and I play basketball I play basketball with all my black friends and black people are great at basketball and rap. <laughs> yeah. Basically that's what it was. Yeah. Uh um just as a side note, because we brought it up right now. Yeah. Two things. Mm-hmm. Uh Eric can ball. He can ball. Well his father's one of the longest his serving father's, NBA. Yeah, refs his father's so Jack Neese. Yeah. yeah. Who's uh, a legendary NBA referee, right. which is weird because when I found out, I was like, oh, my God, I've seen Jack Neese more than I've seen Eric Neese because because <laughs> of all the ba- – he he, he yeah. refed major, major games. Yeah. But uh, Eric Neese, after he got blew up on Real World, uh, got a small role in the basketball movie Above the Rim. Oh, is he in that? Yeah. He's in the very beginning of Above the Rim as as opposing player mm-hmm. and he can ball. He can ball. They didn't show us – him balling, but I believe it. It fits with his character that he'd be good yeah. at it. Yeah. He can ball and he can dance. Yeah. yeah. Well, here's the thing. There's an episode where he goes to Julie's dance class. Yes. And he's like learning hip hop dance with all these actual dancers. And he's really just kind of like stumbling his way through it, but just winning on charm. Yes. So I wonder how much, if at all, Julie resented it when he got that job on the grind and not her. <laughs> I'm sure she was probably like, nah, the grind fits Eric a little more than me. Yeah. Eric, yes. other than Kevin, is the is the other one who uh, my opinion changed the most about. Because in from my perspective today, maybe from years and years of douchebags on reality, reality right. TV, he was much less douchey than I remember him being. I remember him being... Oh, yeah. This, like, really obnoxious, like, wannabe hip-hop white guy. And it's like, no, he's actually just really sweet and uh, not that obnoxious at all. And not that... No. Like, he's not too bright. He's 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 clueless. Yeah, he's sort of a dumb pretty boy. He's a very good-looking male model. Mm -hmm. But I just remember him being a total douche, and he's not at all. No, not at all. He's just kind of... just. Just clueless is, is more that he was. Because all of the archetypes that we know now, they fit, but they're very mild versions of those archetypes. Because they yes. actually, their personalities are much more real and natural. Now yes. everybody, even people who aren't on re- reality TV, everybody produces themselves, right? Yes. And they weren't producing themselves on that show. No, which was refreshing. Because now it's like you have someone who's going to be like, well, I'm going to be the bitch on the show. I right. might not really be that much of a bitch, but I'm going to lean into it. So I get, get airtime. So I get airtime. And someone's going to be like, I'm going to be the fucking party boy. Yeah. And just, just to, even though I might not be a total one, I'm just going to lean into it. Right. Yeah, you didn't have that on the real world. Right. Who was, uh, who was your favorite? Heather B. It's not even a question. Heather. Heather well, <laughs> well, Heather B, yes, but oh, when I was 22 and I watched Julie dance. I was going to say, I know you must have loved Julie because you were a dancer. Yeah, she and was she was like real – and she was fun and yeah. she was cute and nice and she could really dance. Those two were definitely my favorite, Heather B and Heather B and, uh, and, and Julie. I, I love them both, yeah. Yeah. I had a bit of a crush on Becky – 
Becky, uh, she, Becky she's got her, that indie girl vibe. Becky yeah. in her twenties is exactly the. Here's a really interesting thing about Becky. She was in a songwriting partnership at the time with this guy named Adam, and he shows up on camera a couple of times. Mm-hmm. They're in the recording studio once. It was Adam Schlesinger from Fountain, from is. Fountains of Wayne. Oh, that dude who wrote that thing you do and who died of COVID. Died from COVID. Yeah. Oh my god! So they were. Like musical partners at the time. Adam Schlesinger is on the first season of The Real World in a couple scenes. But he's just got like, you know, the chalk text that they put on the screen. that just says like, Becky's friend Adam yes. with like an arrow pointing to him. Oh, I didn't know that. That's crazy. And then there's a scene in like the last episode of the season where she's singing in a bar with Adam and another guy, this blonde guy. And it's Chris Collingwood, the other guy from Fountains of Wayne. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Yeah. That's fucking amazing. I didn't know that. So she was working with them back then. Wow, yeah, and, and Heather B was with Boogie Down Productions. Yeah, she was with BDP. That's, they showed that's big. Yeah, yeah. So so some of them were already sort of on their way. Right? Yeah, yeah. They weren't big, but there was like potential there. Right, because Julie was the audience surrogate. They plucked this 19-year-old yes. from Birmingham, Alabama, who'd like never left her town. Yeah. Everyone else already lived in New York. In fact, yes. one of the weird things about the first season is the production didn't police their coming and going. And so they all already had apartments in the city. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them just weren't there a lot of the time. Like Kevin sort of infamously was just never around because he would just get annoyed with these people and go back home to his actual apartment. Yeah. He went back to Brooklyn. Yeah. Uh, Andre lived with his band in a house in New Jersey and he would go there to like rehearse with them and stuff. So they still completely lived their own lives. Yeah. Uh, during the season, they would go back to their own apartments. Um, a few seasons later, they would introduce a gimmick where like the roommates would all have to work together at a job Yeah, or like doing community service or something. But in the first season, especially it was just like, they just have free reign. They'd have guests over all the time. I don't all think they the were allowed that many guests in subsequent seasons. No. They would just have their friends come over. There's strangers around all the time in season one. They, they fucking threw a house party. Yeah. Which is crazy. Just there's, a random loft party, man. There's one scene that's so telling after, like, when when Kevin and, and Eric are sort of fighting about race. Yeah. And Eric has made his, like, I have millions of black friends arguments. Yeah. He, he's got, like, two or three of his buddies in the loft with him. And he's basically presenting his case to them. Mm-hmm. And they're all, like, sympathizing with him. And, like, one of his friends is black. And he's not saying anything. Like, his his two white friends are saying, like, yeah, Kevin doesn't know what he's talking about, and you're not racist. And the black friend is just kind of sitting there chewing his yeah, thumb. Yeah. And production has is just holding the camera on the black friend who's not saying anything. Like, you can tell production knows, like, Eric's an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and look how this dude is just like – and you just want him to, like, say something. Like, just tell Eric to shut up. Yeah. Because he's being an idiot. He's just kind of there, like, I'm not going to say shit. Yeah. But that's yeah, like that, something I, I wouldn't that. have picked up on when I was a kid. No, no, no. I wouldn't have picked it up in my 20s either. Yeah. You just you just wrapped into this this new thing called the real world. It was unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. Um, who else? Heather. Heather's the, I mean, Heather's the best. She's Heather's still the best. The best. She hosts. Yeah. She's on the radio like six hours a day on Sirius Radio. She's like some sort of cooking show thing that she does. It's amazing, I think. That too. But I know she yeah. hosts at least three different hosts or co-hosts at least three yeah. different uh radio shows on yeah. satellite um 
Andre rain dances. I mean, he's he's the grunge guy. You know? He was because it was grunge. They needed yeah. a guy with long hair. Yeah, and he's also like ridiculously pretty. He's a very yeah. He's pretty, a good-looking grunge guy. Long-haired grunge dude. Yes. Yeah. But you can kind of tell that they probably like they were a hair metal band, but then that became passe, and so they were like, "Well, I guess we should do grunge now." <laughs> yeah, I could see that. I yeah. could see that. And you didn't. I didn't think much of him watching when I was uh, when it first came on until I heard him sing. Like I was like, "Oh, he's just some guy with long hair, doesn't do shit." And then they showed the video for you know Lazy Bone, and I was like, "Oh, wow, that's really good." He's yeah, he's the least interesting person in the yeah in the, in the I first agree. season yeah 100 and he says he says things like yeah my band's been around for four years so we've been around for a while and we'll probably be <laughs> around for a while i'm like it's four years a while. i guess when you're 20 four years is a while four years seems like forever <laughs> like you've yeah. been together forever yeah you formed when you were 16 in 1988 there's no way you were a grunge band it didn't exist <laughs> No way. No, they were doing some metal <laughs> and then they quickly ditched that in, right. you know, late 90. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. There's also an episode, he, he will just say things like, there's so many quotes like this from Andre, if you pay attention. There's one episode where he's sick with a cold and he says something like, I'm one of those people who just really hates being sick. <laughs> <laughs> like in the way that only a 20 year old could say yeah. like this is my this is the kind of person i am yeah. let me lay it out for you the thing with me when i get sick i really don't like it yeah call me crazy <laughs> i know I'm an, I, I know i'm an outlier yeah but when i'm sick i'm not happy but when i was 10 years old watching that i was like he's just like me <laughs> <laughs> me too i relate to him he's like he, he gets it. <laughs> he, he gets, gets it. it. He gets it. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. Yeah. Uh, Norman. We haven't even talked about Norman. Norman is a very close second for me as my favorite. Norman to me, when I went uh, when I went to Chicago, mm-hmm. I knew so many Normans in theater. Yeah. Like just, just a, a, a talented, fun guy to be around. Yeah. And like – Witty and gay, yes. but also a nerd. Yes. Oh my God. So many in Chicago. I still have so many friends who are Normans. Yeah. Uh, I'm yeah. probably the most like a. I'm like, uh, we all think we're somebody. We're really all Julies, but. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was literally about to say I'm a Julie. We're all Julies. 100%. I couldn't. I'm Julie as fuck. You are definitely, you are a strong mm-hmm. on the Kinsey scale. You're like a <laughs> nine out of 10 Julie. 100%. Yeah, Norman, I mean, Norman was one of the first uh, gay people on TV. Yeah, yeah, and very just like, yeah, this is me, so what, I don't, you know. And yeah, and even when there were gay characters on TV, their their personality was always, like, gay. Right? Yeah, like feminine, effeminate, yeah. And yeah. He was just like this normal dude. Yeah. There's a great... Great one. Uh, it's an iconic line mm-hmm. where he's hanging with Becky. And Becky's like, I, know I didn't meet any nice boys today. And, he, and there's like, a beat and he just goes, neither did I. And it's beautiful timing. Yeah. Yes. Beautiful. And it's just, it's very like normalizing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. He's not presented as like effeminate. They don't only present like gay storylines for him. Yeah. It's just like some of them go out on dates and sometimes Norman goes out on dates and... He's, he's gay and it's just very yeah. normalizing. Yeah. Like, like anyone in their 20s, sometimes uh, you hook up. A lot of times you don't. You're like, oh, I didn't meet anyone today. It yeah. was very, very, very normalizing at that time. Because I'm the age that I am, 
it didn't even seem like strange or revolutionary to me because I was only just starting to watch TV for adults at that time. Yeah, that makes sense. So for me, it was just like, okay, like, like I was one of the earliest recipients of it being normalized where it didn't seem like anything different to me because I didn't have anything to compare it to. Yeah. So that makes sense. The real world and kids in the hall. (laughs) because <laughs> scott on the kids in the hall was yeah. gay and he would make oh he would write a lot of sketches about being gay but it was never it was just about like the gay lifestyle not in a mocking way but yeah. just presenting it as normal yeah and then seeing real gay people living their lives on the real world also was just like it's just normal like it yeah. was never a question that it would be normal it didn't seem yeah. like a new thing yeah but yet it was still groundbreaking at right. the time yeah. Which is why that kind of shit is important. Yeah, yeah. definitely. But definitely. Norm is also just like really funny and... A but good also hang. just like, a like kind. Like Norman yeah. by far is the one I would want to hang out with then yeah. and that I'd want to hang out with now. Yeah. He's yeah. just just like, oh, that's a good hang. Let's, let's go have coffee with Norm. Everybody else, even Heather, who I love, she's a lot. And <laughs> like... You know what yeah. I mean? Like, I, I after a day hanging out with Heather, I'd be pretty exhausted. Yeah, well, you're going to do what Heather's doing. Yeah. Whatever Heather wants to do, Heather, you're just going to do it. It'll be fun and everything, but you're just like, nah, I can't even anymore. Yeah, I wouldn't want to be roommates with Heather. I'd want to mm-hmm. be roommates with Norm. Good old Norman. Yeah, if I had to pick one, probably. Yeah. Well, no, Julie. It would be Julie. Uh, Julie then... I mean, listen, I'm just going to say that Julie then, Julie now, I'm here for Julie. (laughs) She's a little, well, she's not dumb. She's just naive. She's 19 and she's from Birmingham and she doesn't know shit. She, uh, she's not like ditzy, but I don't know. Norman is more, Norman is more my speed. I can, that makes sense. Yeah. That, that tracks. Yeah. Uh, what other memories do you have? Trying to think. I remember just binging it too. Like once, once. It was the once you see it, you can't unsee it because you were just like, I caught it. Like I said, I caught it in Atlanta, so I caught it in a rerun. Mm-hmm. And I'm almost positive I caught like either the tail end of the first episode or just the second episode. And I was like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. And because I think I came home from waiting tables and I was just like sitting there with a beer. And I was like, oh. And then I was like, what is this? And then it became, we. I have to watch all of this. Yeah. Everything. Every episode needs to be seen. Yeah. And then my, my, I was living with my best friend and my brother. We'd, If we were all available and not working, we would watch it all together. Just like three guys going, this is fucking great. Yeah. Those the, those first three or four seasons, they would run marathons all the time. And I would watch oh, so them. Many. I watched every episode so many times. Yeah. That's the thing, too. It's like it wouldn't be like, oh, I watched the episode. Yeah, I'm done. You'd be like, no, I'll watch it again when it comes on. Yeah. Like, if in a month from now, if the same episode's on, I'll watch it. It's the most 90s thing. Yes. It's just the most 90s thing. I mainly watched it during the Clinton era. I, like, I watched oh, yeah. a, couple of the seas- a couple of the seasons I sort of half-watched when I was in college. But really, it's just this Clinton era thing. It's just, it exists in the 90s for me only. It carried on for many more seasons after 2000, but for me, it's yeah. it's, a, it's a relic of the 90s. I agree. I agree. I might have caught the 2000, maybe 2001. Yeah, and then never again. And it's it is it is a, it's a Clinton era, 92 to to 99. Those are the banger years. It's so crushing that the music isn't in the the streaming 
season one and there's no way to watch it with the music i hope they fix it because in this new reunion series they're using the period music yeah. like it's footage of they them are. in january yeah. of this year but they're still using the music from the original so which is great yeah. so smart because they're not they're not playing cardi b you know they're playing black box yeah you know, I got great. I got actually emotional. Like seeing them now, they're all in their late forties and early fifties, you know, walk into and in the we'll talk about it more in the next episode, but they yeah. they went back to the original loft. Yes. And they're playing like Jesus Jones. Yeah. It's crazy. And, uh yeah, and I'm and I was just like <clears throat> like <laughs> Yeah, they're playing Tennessee. Tennessee, yeah, it's oh, crazy. Oh, it's it's just hearing those songs and seeing their faces. Oh, it's amazing! Like just mainlining nostalgia. <laughs> it is just shooting it into my veins. Yeah, yeah, it's really great. It's really great. Yeah, um, I'm excited to talk about uh, the reunion. The oh reunion. yeah, there's. I mean, uh, we're already going to do the first part. I have so many thoughts on the first part. It's already, already so wild and like oh, yeah. so much better than I expected expected it to actually be. Yeah, yeah, it could have yeah. been a shit show, but so far, well, it's it's a shit show, but not in terms of in, it in being, a good way. It, it, it's not poorly produced or poorly exactly. made or uninteresting. Yeah, exactly. Uh, one person in particular is a shit show. Yes, exactly. Which boy. we'll get into next time. Yes. Holy it's, shit. Yeah, it's a cliffhanger. Yeah, but but let's get to our top five list. Yeah. Let's talk about our favorite songs of 1990 and just, just steep deeper into the nostalgia. I, as we, before we started recording, as we were talking, yeah. I can't even call these my app, maybe one as an absolute favorite because there were so many. Sure. And it, it was one of the few times where picking a list where it was, it was overwhelming. Because, yes. you know, in 1990, I was 20, and it's like every song was made for me. <laughs> yeah. And I just I, – it became this wall of, okay, I should do that one. Well, I should do that. And finally, I just said, fuck it. Whatever I put on my list is the list I have. Yeah. It was a really overwhelming experience. And even now, I'm like, oh, I could have put that. As I was saying, I don't have any honorable mentions because it would have been like 10 honorable mentions. I mean, for me, this is right around the time that I was first becoming aware of pop music. And in 1990, I was mostly only listening to New Kids on the Block. So honorable mention to the entire New Kids on the Block <laughs> discography. Because you were seven. In 1990? Yeah, I turned eight in 1990. Oh, my God. Yeah, I turned 20 in 1990. Yeah. Yes, is, that's where our age difference seems a lot more <laughs> of a difference than it does now. It really does. The oh, way boy. things work. Well, I do have several honorable mentions. I'll just spit them out real quick. Okay. Depeche Mode, Enjoy the Silence, which you great, may be surprised. Great song. But it sounds too much like the 80s. It's like the it last does. great 80s I knew 80s it was 90. Song. It's the last gasp 80s song. Uh, Digital Underground, Humpty Dance, very close great. to making my list. George Michael, Freedom 90. On and off my list multiple times. Yeah, God damn yeah, it. Almost made yeah. it. Uh, Sonic Youth, Cool Thing, which I've talked okay. about on the show before. That's the song uh, that she wrote about LL Cool J. Mm-hmm. This one really almost made it. Super Chunk, Slack Motherfucker from their debut album, the great North Carolina indie rock band. Know the name. Uh, only didn't make it because I know that they hate that song now because it's the song that everybody knows. And they're like, oh. it's been 30 years. We have more songs. Please stop requesting. <laughs> Guys, there's Slack more to us than that. They're sick of it. So I'm like, I won't put it on my list. Uh, and I really like this song. <laughs> 
the I think it was the number one song of the year on the Billboard charts in 1990. Hold on by Wilson Phillips. Not a bad song. As opposed to Hold On by En Vogue, which was also one of the top 10 biggest records that year. A much better Hold On, in my opinion. They're both great. I have, I mean, I hear Hold On by Wilson Phillips and as fucking corny and cheesy as it is. But it's great. It hits something. It It, it does hit. It does hit. I almost put Hold On from En Vogue as well because I was like, oh, that's that's the introduction to En Vogue. Yeah, that was the the one. But they didn't make the cut. Real quick side note, In Vogue is in the sequel to Coming to America. Oh, really? Yes. I haven't watched that but yet. But only two of them. And then there's one, because you know there's that riff. Right. So They're becoming like, like The Temptations now. <laughs> yeah. It's two of them, and then there's a hired woman, and then that's it. So there's only three. Yeah, if Dawn's not in En Vogue anymore, then I'm not really paying attention. No, it's it's just Cindy and Terry, and then someone that they hired for when they go on tour. Yeah. And then there's no fourth member. Cindy and Terry are like the Otis Williams and Melvin uh, of the Temptations. It's like they're not they're not like the most important ones. They're the heart of the group, but I'm not really oh, paying attention. I that. ride hard for both Cindy. They're my I, I'm on the Cindy Terry team. I, look, Terry was the one I had a crush Terry's, on. Terry's number one. Yeah. <laughs> Terry's always number one in my heart. But yeah, I thought that was funny around that time. Yeah. But yeah, this was uh, this was hard. Yeah, I'll, I'll start it off because you deserve right. to, to close I mean, you're going to know my number one right now anyway, but go ahead. We're going to have some overlap, I'm sure. There's going to be, yeah. Uh, because my number five is Belle Biv DeVoe. <laughs> there you go. It's uh, the title track from Poison. Did I consider making it do me? Eh, for a split second, but no, of course, poison is better than Doomy. Poison's better than Doomy, and though, although if you'd said, you know what, I'm gonna go Doomy the remix, I would have been like, damn, Paul, <laughs> that's a pull. I don't, I don't ride that hard for Belle Biv DeVoe, but I do love Poison, and Poison in my life has gone on a trajectory from me being ten and like this is an amazing song to me being a teenager and being like, oh, that like 1990 bullshit. You know, our cheesy R&B to me being in my 20s and like, you know, this song is cheesy, but like I sort of ironically like it now. It's kind of retro. It's kind of like retro cool to me being in my 30s and like, no, it was just great all along. It's just a solid like a like on its own merits. Great. song. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, it still holds up again. I've said this repeatedly about Poison. Mm-hmm. Everyone I knew when that song came out ran to the dance floor. Yeah, guys that didn't dance like we just sit on a couch and drink and chew dip would <laughs> poison would come on and yeah. they'd all just run to it mm-hmm. dance their asses off poison would end and they'd get off yeah they got in their uh their running man and their roger rabbit yeah. for the week and <laughs> everyone loved poison at that i mean every everyone loved poison it was that good of a song is it kirk the best song to do the Running Man to? No, no, okay, no. That would be uh, probably every little step by Bobby Brown. Ooh, okay, yes, yeah. but yeah, okay. That that would be that would be the one. They great question. <laughs> Two sides of the same coin: the yin and the yang of yeah. <laughs> of the Running Man. Yes, yes, the Running Man. <laughs> very, very true. Very, very true. Yeah. Which is a delicious segue into my number five. The song that I've mentioned so many times, you're probably like, shut up. My number five is My, My, My by Johnny Gill. Oh, sure. I know how you love I'm, Johnny Gill. 
I love Johnny Gill. My my mind came out. I was like, well, this is a great fuck song. Mm-hmm. And again, you look and you look at the credits. Here's the credits of this, which is '90s as fuck. Okay, the album it's from is produced by Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. Mm-hmm. My 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 is produced by Babyface. Mm. The backup singing in it is by Babyface's group After Seven, which his brother was in. Okay. And there's a sax solo by Kenny G. <laughs> I mean, Jesus Christ. <laughs> when you – now, I don't mean to be morbid. When you die many, <laughs> many, 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 many years from now. Yes, exactly. When you're in your final moments, whether – whatever's going on, the, you know, when the, in that moment when people's lives – flash before their eyes mm-hmm. or they see a light that they feel compelled to walk into i believe that you will hear my 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 in your head because <laughs> it's just the most kirk thing it could be yeah it, if there is a god then said god has <laughs> queued up my my the saxophone solo of my 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 i hope as that I walk through you. The you, gate. you deserve that <laughs> You know what I mean? If if our final moments are bliss and peace, then that, I think, would be fitting. I would love you. that, Paul. That was wonderful. And I hope you don't mind me saying that because I say it with love and not like... No. I know where it comes from. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I know where it comes from. Yeah. My number five and my number one were always locked. So, so okay. Johnny Gill at number five was a lock. Okay. Yeah. Uh Likewise, my number four is a song that I've talked about on several occasions uh, on this podcast. We've watched the video. We've talked about this artist. It's Iggy Pop doing Candy from the album Brick by Brick. Now, I did, once again, consider Butt Town because uh, <laughs> I do have a soft spot for Butt Town. But Candy is 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 the better song. Candy's a good song. It's and it's a unique song for Iggy Pop because Iggy Pop is always cool or he's always, you know, a troublemaker or mm-hmm. he's always, you know, singing about heroin or whatnot. There's an, a, there's an emotion to this song and his performance that you don't always get from Iggy Pop. Mm-hmm. And that he put Kate Pearson from the B-52s on the track to sing with him not even duet but they have that sort of conversation between their two characters and her she has like the prettiest voice ever and it just like lifts up the emotion and the weird thing about the song is it's telling this story you know where in his verse he's like oh i haven't seen you since 1970 baby or you know what i mean like and and she's like oh it hurt me real bad when you left and there's this sort of unspoken story between these two characters that they give you snatches of but you have no idea who they are or what happened mm-hmm. or what their relationship to each other was. But it's so full of emotion anyway, that every time I hear it, I just get like knocked out by it. You know, that's great. That's and Iggy great. pop doesn't do songs like that, but no, he sells it so well on this song. I recall that that was actually, obviously it wasn't a huge hit, but that yeah. actually charted. Yeah. Yeah. It had it some radio play and well some MTV it. play. Yeah. Cause I remember hearing it, it's funny. I remember hearing it and going, oh, yeah, that's good. And then seeing the video, I was like, oh, I like this. Forgot about it. And then when you introduced me to it again, I was like, oh, no, this is good. This yeah. is good. I Because I completely forgot about it for, you know, 20, 30 odd years. Yeah. And then bringing it back, I was like, oh, yeah, this is good. 
Yeah, and I, I mean, Iggy has like that really rich sort of baritone, but he doesn't have like perfect pitch by any means. He doesn't have like a powerful. He's got yeah. a very like his voice has so much texture, but he's not mm-hmm. a singer, right? No, I no one would say that. And you can just tell he's like, no, I want this song to actually hit a certain emotional place that I don't think I can do on my own. Mm. And so, and so Kate Pearson just lifts it to that place. And it's just a unique record for him that I never get sick of hearing. Would you say that because it's such a 180, is it actually punk? <laughs> it's so not punk that it's punk again. <laughs> yeah. It went to 360. No, I think it has the dignity to just, it's just not punk. It's just a yeah. new, it's just something different from Iggy. And yeah. It's done makes so sense. well. Yeah. It's like, that oh, totally makes sense. Iggy, Iggy has feelings. <laughs> Iggy cares. <laughs> Iggy cares. Iggy, Iggy cares. I love Iggy Pop so much. He's just the best. Uh, yeah, he's cool. He's as much as I don't listen to his music as a person. You're like, God damn, he's fucking cool. Yeah, he's just fucking cool. Yeah, because because at his heart, he's just like a he's just a good Midwestern boy. You know, mm-hmm. if exactly. you meet him, you'd just be like, Hey, nice to meet you. I'm Jim. Hey. Hey, that's the thing. He's like, call me Jim. Oh, Can he goes by Jim. Like, people who that's know him great. don't call him Mickey. He's Jim. Yeah. Jim Osterberg from Detroit. Yeah. Can I get you something? Yeah. <laughs> you want yeah. something to drink, man? <laughs> I got I got things. Sure. I got some lemon. You want a lemonade? I got lemonade. <laughs> Iggy Pop always has lemonade in the fridge. <laughs> that's a fact. It's yeah. <laughs> a fact. Yeah. Uh, my number four... My number four, shockingly, I've never talked about them. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna. This is a tough call because I do that thing where it was so big of its time, and I forget your age that I go, "Oh, Paul knows this," and then I go, "No," because he was seven. Mm. Um, but my number four is from a British group. Uh, Should have been bigger. Back to life by Soul to Soul. Back to, to life. life. Back, Back to, to reality. Oh, that's such a real world season one song. Oh yes. Oh, that of course song, I know that song. That song was everywhere. That song was everywhere. Yeah. Not only was it on the real world a lot too, mm-hmm. it it reminds me too because that was I it was for an entire year mm-hmm. in jazz dance. Our teacher, the professor, that was the warm up song. She okay. loved that song so much that yeah. it wasn't we we didn't choreograph it. It was just warm up and stretches and movements to get warm. It seems it kind of perfect for that because it's very dense, yeah. but it's also pretty mellow. Yeah, it's very mid tempo. Yeah, and I that song still holds up to me. Oh, it's yeah. funny when Soul Soul. The, it's off the album Keep On Moving, mm-hmm. which is also a great song. And when I got that album, I was like, Oh, this band next twenty years they're going to be putting out just this <laughs> brilliance. Yeah. They had some more I, hits, but they didn't really. They had a couple more. Yeah. The second album came out, and I was like, ooh, it's okay. <laughs> it's not great. And then that that was basically it. Yeah, yeah. That was based very of its time, very 90s British house soul. And sure. uh, it was just it was just great at the time. It was so so new and innovative. You're like, this is the new sound forever. Yeah. And then it and then it wasn't. No, because it was just two of its time. It's like, yeah. oh, this this is yeah. allowed to exist in nineteen ninety and only in nineteen ninety. Yes. A hundred percent. Yeah. But of course yep. I know come on, you think I know Bizarre Inc. and Robin S, but I don't know Soul. Oh, Soul. that's true. That's a fair <laughs> that's a fair point. Fair point. Yeah, no, that's a great a great record. Yeah. And I think that's a gem. I'm pretty sure that shows up in the real world too. 
It does. I'm, and I'm almost 100% it does. Yeah. Um, we might have some overlap on my number three because this is just such an eternal dance pop hit. I 100% know what it is. Uh, go ahead and guess. Groove is in the heart. It is delight. Groove is in the heart. <laughs> yes. From, from, the, from the album World Click, but who cares about the rest of the album? Delight is. Let's be honest. That's sadly, true. but wonderfully, a one hit wonder. Maybe the best one hit wonder, because that song oh. is so good. Yeah. Still holds up. And again, that's another example of everyone dance to that song. And it still works that way. And it's one of those things. You play it at a wedding. The little kids are dancing to it. Yeah. Granny's dancing to it. It's just fun. It's pure. You've got Bootsy Collins on yeah. it. You've got Q-Tip doing a verse on it. K- killing it. It has everything. Yeah. It's, I mean, you just hear those those intro bass notes that boom, 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 boom. And you're like, ah, it's yeah. just, it's on for the next four minutes. And then it just fucking kicks in and yeah. you're like, this is oh, such a fun song to dance to. Yes. Always but, good. But much like uh, Soul to Soul, like it can exist only in 1990. It's just so of its time. It's trapped in amber. It's like, <laughs> we can always listen to it and always groove to it, but it is 1990 and it's to the bone. Yes, 100%. Yeah. But even like my kids know it now. They like that song. Oh, yeah. yeah. Everyone likes it. Yeah, it's it's immortal. Yeah, it it's really great. is. And it, it, never, it, it, it never went through that thing that Poison did for me where after a few years it was like, oh, this is kind of like <laughs> – cheesy now and like it didn't need to go through that thing of being uncool and then cool again with mm-hmm. time it was just always cool. like no one was ever this is dated or i'm sick yeah, of this like that song it. is just always works yeah. always works you're spot on too about like such a good song like that album that was not horrible you yeah. just don't care about it yeah i don't know anything else from it uh there's i just want to hear a good beat yeah. It's not great. And then there's like an intro song that's actually pretty good. It's only like a minute long. But everything else you're just like, I don't remember. But it doesn't matter because I got Groovers in the Heart. Right. And it's from the CD era where you bought it, the whole album, for 20 bucks at Sam Goody because the one song that you wanted is on it. And you're like, yes. well, I hope the rest of this isn't trash. Yeah. But I want this song. So I'm going to yeah. buy the album. I mean, that's exactly what I did when I was 20. <laughs> I did the exact same thing you said. Didn't listen to any other song. Put it on a mix and then I kept it for a year and then sold it. Yeah. <laughs> that's what you had to do. That's what you had to do. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's a good call. Yeah. Um, my number three, I introduced to you, mm-hmm. you now love this song. Okay. Do you want to guess? All I can think is Funky Dividends, but I know that's 1988. <laughs> You're very close. You're very close. Now, which... Uh, I'm going to give you... I'll, I'll say this. Yeah. C to the O to the O to the L to the I to the N to the F to the R to the O to the N to the T to the I to the N. That means I'm chilling. I don't know what you just spelled because I couldn't <laughs> spell it in my head. I said coolin' and frontin' because it's the Boomin' System by L.O. Oh, the Boomin' and... Oh, yeah. I listened to that song so much after you played it on the That show. was from our car, car episode, the song that you bump in the car. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That song... Oh, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. That wasn't the episode. It was... It was 
uh, side one, cut one. Best side ones, cut one. Side okay. Which album is this? Is this on? Uh, this is on. Um, um, Mama said, "Knock you out." Mama said, "Knock you out." Yeah, right. And which is a great album, and this is my probably my favorite song off the album. Yeah, so good, so great. To just I played the fuck out of that in my shitty car in college. Just <laughs> this beat up Honda Accord from that I got from my mom. Just oh. cranking it on the tape. Honda Accord doesn't sound shitty. That's a classic car, man. It's a great car, but it was like I dinged it so much in <laughs> much New Hampshire used. weather. Oh, yeah. 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 And it was a little used, but oh, God. So, such a good song. Such a good, just funky, yeah. funky song. Was that a single or an album cut? No, it was an album cut. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I never didn't know it. I, ne- I mean, I never listened to Mama Said Knock You Out. I just know, yeah. the, I just know the LL hits. Yeah. So I'd never heard it until you brought it to the pandemisodes and uh, played it a lot last year. Yeah, it's great. It's yeah. great. And it's uh, it's very it's an it's very nineties for LL as well. Yeah. You know, there's a line where they're like, push the EQ and play connect the dots. It's like a yeah. car that has <laughs> EQ levelers now. You're like, that's not a thing. <laughs> it is when I edit this podcast. <laughs> so, uh, that's true. Young people that's with podcasts true. know what an EQ is. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> But uh, that's my number three. Yeah. Uh, my number two is definitely a band you know, but I don't know if you know this song. Uh, it was a single that they put out before they ever got big. It's uh, Nirvana. And in fact, my favorite Nirvana song, which is Sliver. Do you know Sliver? By was Nirvana? it off of Bleach? Was Bleach there? No, it was a single. It was a non-album single. Oh, they just released a single? Yeah, Bleach came out in 89. Oh. In 90, they put out Sliver as a single, and then Nevermind came out in 91. But this was a non-album single. It didn't really do anything. They didn't get famous off of it, obviously, because they didn't get famous until Nevermind. But after Nevermind made them the biggest uh, band in the world, uh, and the record company was just like trying to put out anything they could while they mm-hmm. waited for a second album... They put out like a B-Sides and Rarities album called Incesticide. I know the name of that album. Yeah. And that was sort of like, this will be have to be the new Nirvana release to tide you over because you yeah. were all demanding more stuff. And so that had all of their singles from before they were big. And Sliver was on there. And I, you know, I think it was, it's one of the highlights of the album. It's a really good song. It's my favorite Nirvana song. So wait, it's, best it's a, it's not from an album. Right. Originally. Right. But it's in between Bleach and Nevermind. It's a single in between Bleach and Nevermind. Yeah, they only put out three albums. Nirvana did. Yeah, but that's yeah. Re- it's what's really interesting to me is like they put out an album. I'm mm-hmm. curious as to why they just like let's just throw out this single before a year before Nevermind. Well, because even though they weren't world famous yet, they were still like in the Seattle scene. They were big in the grunge scene. They were big mm-hmm. and they were on sub pop, and so for like indie snobs like alternative fans before alternative was a major thing mm-hmm. nirvana was a thing and sub pop would put out singles you know and okay people, and people okay. would buy it so so people who, who like you know hip people who were buying anything that sub pop put out or who were following that scene they would have been interested in it oh okay okay so yeah i don't yeah. i don't know that single at all because it is sort of a beloved Nirvana song to the point where I was kind of like, does this go on the list or is it too obvious to put <laughs> to put Sliver on there? Is it too obvious or like is it one of those – because is it one of those things where like, yeah, no, never mind's good, but I, I, I'm here for their, their sing Sliver. Slither. 
a sliver. I don't know if it's like that. To me, it's just it's the it's the paradigm of how Nirvana has this grunge sound where it's really like raw and loud, but at the heart, it's like Kurt was a pop songwriter and his songs are very like they're Beatles songs, man. They just have <laughs> fuzzy guitars, you know? But the uh. The melody is very like la 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 la. Oh, like wow. it's you know what I mean, but uh, yeah, it's and you know it goes quiet loud the way you like your Nirvana songs. <laughs> <laughs> so does it? It sounds like other Nirvana songs. It's not like a one-off like oh, funky yeah. experiment. Yeah. Okay, yeah, it it could be on Nevermind, but it really sounds like what it is. It's it's sort of the in between. Uh, in between Bleach and Nevermind. It sounds exactly oh, like Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it's definitely the bridge between those two albums. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Now, the snobby Nirvana take is, I actually like Bleach better than Nevermind. <laughs> it, just, it just hits differently. Well, that's a valid take. I don't sneer at people who believe that because I think it's valid. But it is a little bit like... I'm a music snob, and so I prefer, I prefer Bleach. Yeah. Bleach rules, but I don't like it better than Nevermind. <laughs> I was going to say, that's that's cool. I mean, yeah. even I like Nevermind. That's cuckoo yeah. talk. Yeah. Um, my number two, we can skip over because this group is in the heart. Oh, that, I knew there would be overlap it's, there. It was, gonna, it, was, uh, yeah. it, it was one of the ins and outs of like, oh, am I going to put Janet in there? And I was like, <laughs> I got to put Groovies in the heart. Well, Janet um, didn't have an album in 1990, did she? Well, she had... She had uh, she had singles off of Rhythm Nation. She had singles off of Rhythm Nation because Rhythm Nation was really late 89. It was like October 89. Sometimes it's tough to call that when we're doing a year and it's like, oh, yeah, but the album came out in December, which means it ruled the world through all of the next year. Yeah, right. Exactly. But no, my number two is Grooves in the Heart. Champ, we've spoken up about it. Yeah, I wondered if it would be your number one, actually. Oh, no. I almost left it off off my list just because I worried it would be year number one. Yeah. The year number one is so obvious, but I can't think of it. <laughs> That's so it's so hard to imagine what it would be. Uh, did Bobby Brown have an album in nineteen ninety? I don't know. Do we'll find wanna... out. But I'll tell you my number one. <laughs> yeah, while you Which, think about it, tell me your number one. My number one is a band you know and love, but you love a different song off of this album. I wonder if I say the album if you'll know who I'm talking about. The name of the album is Reading, Writing, and Arithmetic. Reading, Writing, and Arithmetic? Yeah. I feel like I should know this, but I'm blanking 100%. Well, I'll tell you the name of the song you know, and then you'll know it. And it's, okay. uh, This is How the Story Ends. This is How the Story By Ends. By The Sundays. Oh, here's where the story here's ends. Here's where the story ends. Sorry, yes. Here's where the oh, story ends. Oh, that album was called Reading, Writing, Arithmetic? Yes, but that's not my favorite song of 1990. Mine is Can't Be Sure, which I think I've talked about before. You've talked about that before. Yeah. Oh, God, that's crazy. See, now that's like Depeche Mode to me, where in my brain the Sundays were like 89, but they weren't. They were 90. Uh, I think maybe they had an, an album before this. But the, the, the album we're talking yeah. about. 1990. The Sundays uh, can't be sure because you know how I feel about Harriet Wheeler, one of the great uh, unsung singers of yes early nineties Brit pop adjacent <laughs> folk pop. I don't know yeah. what you'd call it. It's a little. It's not like Suzanne Vega or Ten Thousand Maniacs. It's different from that. It's very like. It's in that vein, but it's not the same. It's Brit pop, but not really. You know, yeah, uh, it, it is sort of in that th- that vein, but yeah, I love that song. Yeah. I can't say that I know, you know, the Sunday's entire catalog backwards and forwards, 
but I can I can make myself real emotional. If I'm in a mood, if it's like, you know, that rainy day mood, I can put on Can't Be Sure by the Sundays and really just uh, sit in it, you know? <laughs> I got to listen to that because I only know that single and just love that single. And then later on in 97 with that great hit Summertime. Yeah. Uh, but I, so I don't know any of the other stuff because I, I, if I'm not mistaken, I thought here's where the story ends was the that was the big single off it. I yes. didn't even know if there was another single. This was another single. It's not as big as okay. Uh, story ends. Can't be sure. It does this great thing, great to me, where you know most of the song is just like this one little electric guitar lick that's sort of hanging over you and just sort of softly playing the drums in a way that it sounds like it's the intro. And as soon as they get to like the chorus, then the beat's going to drop as much as, you know, the beat drops in, <laughs> for a, the Sundays. in a soft little Britpop song like this and that they're going to really get into it. But that doesn't happen until two and a half minutes into the song. <laughs> you know what I mean? You get like a <laughs> verse and a chorus yeah, and a verse and the whole time it's just holding this tension to where musically it sounds like just like a really long intro. Mm-hmm. And it's not. It's just it has that musical tension. And then in the second chorus, finally, the drums go like, you know, and then the electric guitar kind of picks up a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And then all of a but sudden not too she, much. And then all of a sudden she's done singing like she finishes the chorus and that's the end of the song. There's like 30 seconds left of it after they finally sort of break the tension. Oh, wow. So it's this really kind of emotional song and and it just leaves you, it like picks you up and it just kind of keeps you waiting. Mm -hmm. It just, I don't know, emotionally it does a weird thing to me because of of what they do musically. Yeah. Yeah. Because I did not know that, I I didn't know they had a second single off that album. That's interesting. Yeah, check that one out. I will check that one out. Yeah. Uh, Because the Sundays, I mean. And watch the video and have a crush on Harriet Wheeler. I just like sit there like this. Yeah. Just sit my head on my hands going, oh, Harriet. Just like this redheaded English girl. And you picture her like with the sleeves of her sweater over her hands while she's drinking tea. Yep. She's like, I wrote a song for you. And you're like, Harriet, are you shy? I'm shy too. (laughs) We were both shy. (laughs) Yeah, it's that kind of thing. Uh, That's great. Well, do you want to just say my number one? I'm, is it Bobby Brown? No, Bobby Brown didn't have, that was 89. But Humping Around is what, 91, 92, 93? That's 92. Okay, 92. Then what's your number one? It's Poison. Oh, Poison is your number one. <laughs> Poison is my number one. Okay, I didn't know that. I mean, I know you love Belle Biv DeVoe, but I didn't know that Poison would be your number one. Oh, by far. Yeah, okay. that was that was, that was was an easy one. That was, yeah. As soon as we said 1990, I was like, oh, that's going to be Poison. And we, oh, I'm sorry I stepped on it with my number five. Oh, yeah. no, no, no. I mean, all I will say about it, because we've talked a lot about it, is yeah. at the time, mm-hmm. when you heard Belle Biv DeVoe is coming out with an album, you were like, what? Oh, yeah. That sounds like the wackest thing in the world. Oh, the three other guys? From the <laughs> three other dudes who are didn't having, sing lead? Who, yeah. bear, who you're like the guys that you didn't care about that much, or you're like, they're fine. They're going to do something. Oh, boy. This yeah. is going to be a fucking tr- – oh, and it's called Poison. Yeah. And they're called BB. And then they had that slogan like hip-hop smoothed out on the R&B tip with a pop feel appeal to it. You're like, oh, guys, what are you doing? <laughs> what is this try-hard mess? Yeah, and then Poison came out and they're like, I, I apologize. Yeah. <laughs> I they apologize. So yeah. 
oh, it turns out that Ronnie fucking rules. Yeah, they fucking that they know. all kill. <laughs> they all kill. Yeah. And the only other thing I'll say about this, well, the, the two things. One is that the only reason they did this was like Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis's idea, right? Because they were like, hey, Ralph's doing a solo, Johnny's doing a solo. You two got to get you two got to get your shit together and like do something. Yeah. Because they're doing something in between albums, so you should do something. And then they're like, okay, yeah. well, we'll do this. And the like other you thing you already is, have a rep as like the three non lead singers in the group. So if you just stay quiet right now, you're just gonna like cement that. Yeah, exactly yeah. right, Paul. Like Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis saw that, and they're like, so go do something. Yeah. And then they they came up with BBD and Poison in that yeah. great album. But there's there's an iconic in the video. There's an iconic dance break that mm-hmm. for like. 30 years they've done the same dance break for that <laughs> breakdown yeah, yeah. on on uh, uh, on stage. And they were like – this was maybe like – there's a video of it like maybe two years ago of them on stage doing it. Oh, no, no, no. It was like recently because it was like during the Teddy Riley pandemic, like I'm going to do a little mini oh, concert. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Belle DeVoe did their own one and they did the breakdown mm-hmm. uh, during the break, the dance breakdown. And they just looked at each other and they all went – yeah, we still like doing this. They're like, they're like, yeah, this dance break was always good. Like yeah, as fun. they're doing it, they're still talking about it. Like, yeah, this was fun when we did this. Yeah. And I was like, oh, you guys are cool. <laughs> now for me, of course, as I've talked about, because we talk about New Edition on the show all the time. Yes. I had the exact opposite experience of Belle Biv DeVoe, where the Poison album came out right around the time that I was becoming aware of pop culture in general. Mm-hmm. I remember... Uh, like do me being a single when yeah. I was in like first grade and like, Ooh, I'm probably not supposed to listen. To this. <laughs> no, you should not. That's a, but in 1996, when new edition got back together and it was a big deal, my response was Bobby Brown used to be in a group with the guys from <laughs> Bell Biff DeVoe. That's insane to me. Like, that's that you're weird. Like, you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. BBD and Bobby Brown are friends? Yeah, they know each other? <laughs> no, so I weird. just knew Belle Biv DeVoe is like one of the greatest groups of the new Jack Swing era. Oh, that's so funny. And then that's it's like so they weird. were in a group called New Edition in the 80s and they were like a little baby Jackson 5. I was like, I didn't know. <gasps> that's so funny. That's people crazy. were going crazy. New Edition's getting back together. Oh my God. I'm like, who's New Edition? <laughs> oh, <laughs> BBD's band? Yeah, yeah. BBD and Bobby Brown from before. <laughs> they they get, would they get some two other just kind of Joe Bag of Donuts and uh, yeah. so oh, for me, so Belle Biv DeVoe is first. Like I knew I, about Belle Biv DeVoe even before I knew about Bobby Brown. For me, Bobby Brown doesn't come into existence. Um, well, I guess I saw Ghostbusters two in the theater, so yeah. I did hear that song, but I wasn't really aware of Bobby Brown as a pop culture figure until um, like Humping Around, around and, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is I love Humping Around. Sure, uh, great stuff. But yeah, like just. Just the fact, and that whole album is stunning. Is stunning, but just the fact that BBD is like, "Oh, we get it. You think we're shit? Okay, watch this." <laughs> yeah, and came and came out with something that I mean, I think that you know, Bobby Brown had bigger hits, but Poison is so iconic. Yeah, that people just might even know it more than any other New Edition song or any other Bobby Brown song. Yeah, it's definitely. If it ever went away, it's definitely been resurrected. Like, yeah, definitely. like I feel like Gen Z knows and likes Poison by Bell Biff. Oh yeah, no, it's they just, know Poison. Yeah, yeah, everyone knows. Yeah, it's 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 right there with uh, Groove Is in the Heart as an immortal song. 
Yeah, you can't that is escape it. Very of its time, but will live forever. Yes. We have two immortal songs in nineteen ninety. Groove is in the heart, poison, and nothing else. <laughs> and can't be sure by the Sundays. Gen Z loves the Sundays, don't they? Oh, they they stand them. <gasps> I know that's like the snobby number one pick, but it really is like my favorite song from that year. It's I'll be honest with you, it yeah. is a snobby number one pick. Yeah. But it's the Sundays. So it's the it's, one that's all pass. mine. It's just yeah. for me and Harriet to have. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's the thing. Harriet right now is gonna listen to this and she's gonna go. Paul gets it. <laughs> Paul Paul understands me. Yeah. Wish I knew him when. Yeah. Sometimes yep. you put art out there and you're like, this isn't for everyone. It's only for the people who will get it. <laughs> and Har- I want Harriet Wheeler to know that she didn't know it at the time, but can't be sure was for me and a select few other people. Your can't be sure is in your heart like my, my, my. <laughs> in my heart. That's right. And poison is for the world. <laughs> Yeah, poison is for everyone. Right. Agreed. Because you know why? Because there's a message to that song that everyone needs to know. And of course that message is don't don't trust a big button a smile. Yeah. yeah. Everyone and for <laughs> Never all Never trust a big button. For all young and old, any gender, don't trust a big button a smile. <laughs> Facts. Yeah. But that's that's our nineteen ninety retrospective. In our next episode we will talk about the first three of six episodes of the Real World Homecoming, which all those three are already out now. I watched the third one, which came out today. I don't know if you have. I did. But, but oh boy. <laughs> yes. Watched it right after I finished work. Oh, oh my boy. God. Oh boy. Yep. Do we oh. have a lot to talk about? <sighs> Crazy. Wow. It's going to be uh, great. Yeah. Okay. So I'm excited. And, and we'll talk about our top five songs from 1991 when we do that in two weeks. But until then, bye. Bye.